artistic director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Opening at the Globe Theater October 7, 1919, Apple Blossoms, with music by Fritz Kreisler and Victor Jacoby, and book and lyrics by William LeBaron, based on a novel by Alexander Dumas, was one of the only hit musicals of the 1919-1920 Broadway season, with a very respectable run for its day of over 250 performances. With its rather daring story of a couple who agree to wed to please their parents, but live apart to pursue other romantic interests, the book, which was hailed as having, quote, real dramatic excellence, unquote, was considered up-to-date and modern, while the music had a traditional operetta feel to it. One of the highlights of the Broadway original was the dancing of sister and brother team Adele and Fred Astaire, who stole the show and the reviews. Born in Elgin, Illinois, librettist William LeBaron wrote 16 Broadway stage scores and libretti, in addition to being the managing editor of Collier's Weekly Magazine between 1918 and 1919. Coming to Hollywood in 1924, he began producing films. By 1929, he was in charge of production for RKO, subsequently becoming production chief for Paramount Pictures and then 20th Century Fox. Austrian-born composer Fritz Kreisler is regarded as one of the greatest violinists of all time. Known for his sweet tone and expressive phrasing, producing a characteristic sound which was immediately recognizable as his own. Following the start of World War I, he moved to the United States, giving generously to help war orphans and refugees and playing charity concerts. When America entered the war, he was sidelined as an enemy alien. The enforced rest resulted in his collaborating with Hungarian composer Victor Jacobi on today's musical. Here from the March 18, 1949 episode of The Railroad Hour are Jeanette MacDonald as Nancy and Gordon McRae as Philip, with Francis X. Bushman, Betty Lou Gerson, and Jerome Cowan in Apple Blossoms. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our star-studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents the Fritz Chrysler Victor Jacoby operetta... Apple Blossom, starring Jeanette MacDonald and your host, Gordon McRae. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight, another great musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads whose essential transportation service is one of the foundations of America's high productive power and of your high standard of living. And now, here is Gordon McRae. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. On stage tonight is one of the most tuneful of all musical shows, Apple Blossoms, with the beautiful melodies of Fritz Kreisler and Victor Jacoby. You know, Apple Blossoms presents quite an acting chore for me. 
For throughout most of it, I have to pretend I'm a man who doesn't enjoy being married to our lovely and charming guest star, the screen's first lady of song, lovely Jeanette MacDonald. see you alone. Can't you get rid of these people? Oh, but Dickie, we're having a little farewell get-together. Our ship docks tomorrow, you know. That's why I must talk to you. Once we arrive in New York, you'll walk out of my life forever to become Mrs. Philip Campbell. I know, Dickie, but it's not as though we were... I were marrying Phil from choice. Uncle George arranged it just as he's arranged everything for me all my life. A practice I disapprove of highly. Well, you really shouldn't. After all, I couldn't have met you on the boat coming from Europe if Uncle George hadn't arranged to send me to Europe. I still don't approve. He had no right to demand that you come home, just when you were having the best time of your life. I know. When his letter came, I could hardly believe my eyes. I read it over and over, hoping I'd misunderstood what he meant. But no matter how many times I read it, the meaning was always the same. Well, read it to us. Maybe we can translate it for you. Very well. Dear Nancy, I've made up my mind at last to tell you what I planned for you to do. The time has come when you must look ahead, for now you're old enough to think of life and what is best for you. Sounds to me as though he wants you to come back home. Isn't that what you gather, folks? Well, well, you needn't be so happy about it. <laughs> oh, it's a very sad surprise. I hardly could believe my eyes. Oh, why does life demand so much we hate to do? Why should my uncle think to me?
Nancy, you may be marrying Phil Campbell, but that won't alter your love for me, will it? You've got to go on loving me, just as I'll go on loving you. Don't you think we might find that a little difficult? Your marriage will make absolutely no difference to me. What about my husband? He has nothing to do with it. Well, I understand he'll be at the wedding. Oh, yes. Well, that won't matter. I'll always consider you mine, even if you have a hundred husbands. Dickie. After all, I'm not a polygamist. My dear, a hundred husbands is just a figure of speech. Well, the figure's too high. (laughs) Oh, somehow this isn't working out the way I'd always dreamed my marriage would be. Oh, I know Uncle George will arrange everything perfectly. Beautiful bridesmaids, handsome ushers, wonderful presents, and apple blossoms. Not apple blossoms, orange blossoms. No, that's much too conventional. I've always wanted apple blossoms at my wedding. Somehow, everything nice that has ever come to me has happened when the apple trees are in bloom. Oh, it all sounds very unlucky to me. And may I add my congratulations, Phil, my boy? Thank you, Uncle George. Yes, Nancy. I've never attended a wedding yet that I didn't kiss the bride. She's still inside. The line is already formed for the kisses. Uh, Then I'll wait and kiss her out here. I can always do better when I'm not being rushed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my boy, how does it feel to be a married man? Well, it's a little early to tell, isn't it? As far as I know, I feel exactly as I did before. At least, my attitude is the same. And just what attitude is that? Well, I'll tell you. Where is the man who is glad to bow to the plan That he give up all of his life to his wife From his wedding day Why should he try when he can't forget with a sigh All his old loves Ask any man for the truth and he will say I love the girls, girls, girls just the same And being wet cannot kill the flame There is the same old charm in creation With a maid half afraid And when she looks at me with a smile I know it's girls make life worth the while Now I must leave them, forget them But love them, a husband I Little girl, goodbye I love the girls, girls, girls just the same And being wet cannot kill the flame There is the same old charm in She looks at me with a smile. I know it's girls make life worth the while. Now I must leave them, forget them, but love them. That attitude will change, my boy, when you settle down to a steady married life. Now bundle Nancy into the car and get to your wedding reception before your mob. Go on now, hurry off. (laughs) 
Look here, Nancy. Yes, Bill. I realize that you didn't want to marry me any more than I wanted to marry you. We have been sacrificed on the altar of big business. I know. Our family's decided that your coal mines must marry my stone, steel mills. Well, now the wedding's over and the stockholders are happy. Even if we live miserably ever after. (laughs) (laughs) Well, personally, I don't intend to be unhappy. Neither do I. We must rise above industry and not let it affect us. I agree. But I warn you, I have my faults. Well, I doubt if even I am perfect. What's wrong with you? Well, coming back from Europe, I made a friend on the boat. A man. Well, there's nothing wrong in that. But first, we just spoke of the places in Europe we'd both been to. Mm -hmm. And then he began to notice the stars at night. And then he told me that he loved me. And then what happened? The boat docked. (laughs) We, We swore to love each other forever and then separated. Of course, I'll never see him again. Oh, now that's ridiculous. Of course you'll see him whenever you want to. Why, do you think I want him to call me a jealous husband? How beautifully you look at it. Now that I've told you, uh, told you my greatest fault, uh, suppose you tell me yours. Perhaps I'd better before you hear it from someone else. Oh, so you have a romance, too. Well, not half as thrilling as yours. Simply an old friend. Old? Well, 25. <laughs> Married? A widow. A widow. Um, very pretty, I suppose. Well, not exactly bad-looking. What's her name? Uh, 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 I didn't ask the name of your friend. Well, makes no difference to me anyway. I quite understand that. You're perfectly free to do as you please. And I give you the same freedom. Sounds delightful. Rears the birds in the air Flying with never a Wandering about like the evening breeze Through the trees where we please Follow our whims while we go In the happiest way Fortunate smile from the sky Just a game that two are playing. Love is nothing but a game of chance. For the one who chooses very often loses. Love is never sure to be agree. You'll have your friends and I'll have my friends. Don't you mean we'll both have our friends 
and fiancés? Exactly. Do we shake on that? <laughs> we shake on that. Any mail today? That's a question most of us ask many times a week. And chances are, if there was any out-of-town mail for you today, it came to your community by railroad. For the railroads carry more than 99% of all the intercity mail, including everything from parcel post packages to penny postcards. And if you count just the first-class mail, the railroads carry more than 94% and the airlines less than 6% of the intercity mail in the United States. Carrying this 94% of intercity first-class mail, the railroads are paid less by the post office department. In fact, one-third less than the airlines are paid for carrying the other 6%. The post office department's payments to the airlines for carrying domestic mail averaged last year more than five cents for each piece. Now, how much do you suppose the railroads are paid by the post office department for carrying your letters from town to town, or for that matter, from coast to coast? Well, the post office department has figured that out, too. And it's not the three cents you pay in postage. It's not two cents. It's not even one cent. It actually averages less than one-fifth of one cent. So the railroads are not only the great carriers of the mail. They're such economical carriers that on the first-class mail moving by rail, the post office department earned last year a surplus revenue of more than $100 million, a substantial sum that goes to help support other valuable postal services. And now to Act Two of Apple Blossom, starring Jeanette MacDonald and your host, Gordon McRae. Remember now, I'm a married man. Oh, Phil, I hate to interrupt this wholesale flirtation, but I must have a word with you. Yes, Nancy? Are you sure it was right for me to invite Dickie here to our wedding reception? Not a thing in the world wrong with it. Well, I should think you'd welcome the chance to see him again. Or are you afraid he may not be as glamorous in a drawing room as he was in the shadow of a lifeboat? Don't be silly. Besides, you keep talking of Dickie as though he were the one great love of my life. Oh, you mean he isn't? I'm very fond of him, of course, but... But, uh, but, he's really more like a brother to you. Oh, good heavens, no. <laughs> I haven't used that one since I was in boarding school. Well, I'll wager half the guests here today still use it. How about it, girls? <laughs> Ever get caught in the middle of a kiss and have to pretend he was only your brother? <laughs> oh, it seems to be a universal custom. When your mother says that you can't go out with any certain man. Did you obey? Or did you go on and play? Why, of course I thought, till I hit a 
away from home with me. Then sad but true, you say your brother met you. There are hundreds of brothers who'd look strange to their mothers. Sister says twas brother who kissed her, but no such bliss as that kiss belongs in the family. There are hundreds of brothers who look strange to their mothers. Every girl must have one I'll get it. It's undoubtedly your Prince Charming of the promenade deck. Please, Phil. Oh, uh, Mrs. Campbell, please. Won't you come in? I'm Mr. Campbell. And why, you're Dickie Stewart. Yes, I am. Well, it's nice to know you. Dickie, do come in. It's awfully sweet of you to come. Well, uh, I shan't bother you two further. I'm expecting a friend of my own. Uh, I keep feeling this is all highly irregular. I love a woman who's prompt. Darling. Anne, come in. I'd like you to meet my wife, Nancy, and uh, this is her... I mean, this is Dickie Stewart. How do you do? Dickie, how nice. You know each other? No. I mean, yes. I, I mean, uh, I mean, we're old friends. <laughs> Rather more than old friends, wasn't it, Dickie, dear? Well, now, isn't this charming? Uh, I've told Nancy all about you, Anne. Oh, not all, I hope. Well, I trust you found my history interesting. Oh, yes. Quite like some of the books I've read. Imagine you reading such books. <laughs> well, uh, if you'll excuse me, I, I think I'd better be going. Oh, don't run on my account, Dickie, dear. You never used to. Uh, you'll uh, do well to beware of Dickie, Nancy. He's notoriously dangerous to young married women. Ah, and Anne speaks as an expert, Nancy. I can easily imagine that her advice is based on years of experience. Rather say a great deal of experience crowded into a few short years. Well, I suppose I shall learn as time goes on, just as you did. Well, let us hope so for your sake, my dear. I've never noticed that men particularly care for simplicity and innocence. How could you? <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, excuse me. <laughs> Come on, let's go into the library. That is, if you think my wife will be safe with Dickie. Oh, I'm sure she will. Quite safe. Well, I certainly didn't expect married life to begin like this. It's those apple blossoms. I told you apple blossoms were unlucky. Oh, nonsense. I can't understand what he sees in her. Oh, Anne? Well, she's very pretty. Oh, she is, is she? So that's the type you like. No, I don't like her. You're the only girl I can see, Nancy. You believe me, don't you? Well... I don't know. And you still love me, just as you did. You must. I don't know that either, Dickie. 
You know, at certain stages, it's very difficult to distinguish between love and infatuation. Nancy! George. Bill, come in here. Yes, Uncle George. Bill, this is preposterous. Will you kindly explain what's going on here? Going on? I drop in on your wedding reception, and what do I find? Nancy entertaining a boyfriend in here, and you in the library with another woman. Well, what's wrong with that? I can't believe it. It's, it's monstrous. I don't see why. It feels nothing to me. He's your husband. Well, I meant nothing important. <laughs> Yes, Anne. Oh, but don't forget, we have a cocktail date at five. Bill, who is this young woman? This is Mrs. Anne Merton, my fiancée. Anne? John, Uncle George. Why, I... Now, look here. My ideas may be prehistoric, but I know how a marriage should be conducted. And I have a few ideas myself. After all, when a modern husband finds that his wife is in love with another man, he must take it philosophically. If he has any sense of gallantry at all, he'll do exactly this. Take his hat, his cane, and his gloves, and leave them alone with their loves. I don't understand this. Well, it's quite clear, isn't it, Nancy? Nothing could be more so. Exactly. I love the girls, girls, girls just the same. And being wet has not killed the flame.
Aren't you being hasty? Why not at all, Uncle? Nancy and I have a pact that gives either or both of us complete freedom. Isn't that what you understood, Nancy? Quite. Love is just a game that you are playing. Love is nothing but a game of chance. We may be regretting, should we be forgetting? Love is never sure to be no more. Danger always lurks. In Cupid's arrows Love is only luck You take a chance for six months. Back of the postman who brings your mail, there is a vast organization at your service, the United States Post Office Department. Working with and for that organization, and likewise at your service, is another vast organization, the Railroads of the United States. These two are bound together in the sure performance of a service essential to the nation and to all its people. The service they render together is universal, reaching more than 40,000 railroad stations to and from which mail is handled. It is dependable with more than 8,000 mail-carrying trains completing their scheduled trips every day. It is fast, with 15,000 railway mail clerks busy in 3,000 railway post offices on wheels, advancing deliveries by sorting out the mail as it rolls on the rail. And it is economical, with first-class mail sent by rail, providing more than $100 million a year of surplus revenues, which help support other valuable services of the Post Office Department. The Railroad Hour show train will return in just a moment after a brief pause for station identification. Hi, this is Porchlight's Production and Operation Director, Alex Ryan. Thank you for listening to WPMT. If you value programming like this, please consider making a donation today to Porchlight Music Theater at porchlightmusictheater.org. We appreciate your consideration, and we hope you enjoy the show. And now, Act Three of Apple Blossom, starring Jeanette MacDonald and your host, Gordon McRae. Come, Nancy. Why aren't you dancing? 
Uncle George, this is scandalous of you. Ma'am? Giving a masquerade for Phil and me and inviting Anne and Dickie. Well, I found that opposing you two didn't do any good, so I'm trying the other method. I'm arranging for your divorce, so you can marry Dickie. What are you talking about? I'm not so sure I want a divorce. No? Are you falling in love with someone else? Your husband, perhaps. Phil, don't be ridiculous. He's the last person I'd ever fall in love with. I think. Uh, masquerades are very romantic affairs. Remember, the first time you met your husband was at a masquerade. You were a Spanish senorita. And he was a Toreador. Yes, I remember. Many years ago, the sentiment, my dear, but don't be carried away. You're not in love with your husband, you know. Ah, there's the music. Run along, my dear, and find Dickie. I'm sure he'd love having this falls with you. Very well, Uncle George, if you insist. But I'm warning you, my heart is in it.
Uncle George. Now, don't you start on me. I've already explained to Nancy that I'm not the fuddy-duddy you seem to think I am. I wish to give a party for you two and your sweethearts. I should think you'd be the last to object. Ah, here's the third member of our mixed quartet. Good evening, Dickhead. Good evening, sir. Say, look here, Phil, you've picked up my cape by mistake. This one is yours. What difference does it make? This one fits all right. <laughs> oh, I've worn that purple and red cape to every masquerade for years. It has a very romantic reputation. Well, if you've made this cape so famous, I'd like to see how it works. What's going on here tonight, anyway? We're celebrating the first step toward the divorce. Phil will soon be free to marry Anne, and just that soon, Nancy can become your wife. Now, just a You're minute. You're absolutely right, Phil. I'm not so sure I want to marry Nancy. I think I like her better as your wife. <laughs> yes. So I've noticed. Well, at any rate, you'll soon have the freedom you wanted so badly. Who asked you to manage our affairs anyway? But you said you loved Dan and she loved you. A man doesn't marry every woman he loves. No. In fact, the percentage is very small. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and besides, Anne isn't the marrying kind. She's a hopeless flirt. I beg your pardon, she's nothing of the sort. Why, she'd flirt with anyone. Even you. <laughs> Try it and see. But she'd know who I was. I told you my cape is famous. Ah, but I'm wearing your cape. You take mine and find Anne. Okay. But if Anne flirts with me, don't blame her. <laughs> Any girl would. <laughs> I'll see you later, Uncle George. I want to find out how many girls will swoon at the sight of Dickie's purple cape. Oh, Dickie. Uh-oh. My wife. Oh, Dickie, I've been looking for you. There's something I want to tell you. When I saw you just now swaggering across the room in that red and purple cape, I... I realized I didn't love you, Dickie. No, I... don't speak. Let me finish. It isn't easy to tell you this, Dickie, but I, I must. For, well, I, I suddenly realized I'm in love with someone else. My husband. Yes, strange as it seems, I, I've fallen in love with Phil. There, now I've told you. But, Dickie, aren't you going to say anything? Wish me happiness? If I've hurt you, I'm sorry. Goodbye. Darling Nancy, in love with her husband. Very old-fashioned, but music to my ears. She speaks to me of love with words I prize all else above. Yet hardly I believe my senses now for that the past she made. I've no 
Dan, you can't know me. I, I changed capes with Phil, so you wouldn't recognize me. Dickie Stewart, I'd know you in a suit of armor with all the blinds down. I'm too familiar with your technique. Hmm. Well, uh, if I alter the technique and ask you to marry me, what will you say? Oh, I always say yes. Oh, Anne! <laughs> Careful, here's Nancy. Oh, and me in Phil's cape. Anne, I think it's only fair to tell you I have no intention of divorcing my husband. And if you can't resist practicing your wiles on him, kindly do so when I'm not present. Well, I can hardly be to blame if he prefers me to you. However, that's all past. He'll probably tell you so himself. Well, go ahead, Phil. I'm listening. Pardon me, are you talking to me? Dickie! Oh, I thought you were Phil. <laughs> it's this cape. Uh, I forgot I was disguised as your husband. But where is Phil? Here I am, darling. Dickie, I don't know what you found in that cape. Well, but... uh, I found a wife. Hmm. So did I. Well, even with my broad-minded new outlook, partners keep switching awfully fast around here. <laughs> Uncle George, you've got to stop that divorce at once. <laughs> I had no intention of starting it, my dear. I knew those apple blossoms would be lucky. <laughs> Jeanette MacDonald will be back in just a moment. Meanwhile, this is your host, Gordon McRae, giving a vote of thanks to our excellent supporting cast, Francis X. Bushman, Betty Lugerson, and Jerome Cowan for their fine performances in Apple Blossoms, which was adapted for radio by Bill Demling. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by 132 railroads, which are members of the Association of American Railroads. Each of these railroads is an independent business with its own operations and services. Each one competes keenly with others for business, working by itself. But all of them work together for better service to you. And now, here's Jeanette MacDonald. I'm almost beginning to feel like a regular on the railroad hour. This is my fourth appearance, you know, Gordon. Yes, and that's the record for the season, Jeanette. Why, we've almost gotten to look on you as our own... <laughs> Sort of personal guest star. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, by the way, what are you going to do next week? Next week, we'll conclude our regular season of shows, Jeanette, with Victor Herbert's fortune teller. With that lovely young lady of the Metropolitan Opera, Miss Patrice Munzel. The last one? Well, I won't miss that. Uh, well, then what happens? Vacation? Oh, I'm afraid not for me. Two weeks from tonight, Lucille Norman will join me for our summer series, Jeanette, on which we'll pay tribute to most of the composers whose works we've presented during the past season. It sounds wonderful. I'll be listening. Goodbye, everybody. 
And now, before we leave, folks, here's an important reminder from Marvin Miller. Friends, many thousands of our listeners have asked for the informative 64-page booklet, Quiz on Railroads and Railroading. If you have not yet sent for this interesting booklet, you can get a copy without charge by writing to the Railroad Hour, Transportation Building, Washington 6, D.C. I'll repeat that address, the Railroad Hour, Transportation Building, Washington 6, D.C. All aboard! Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so until next week, goodbye. Apple Blossoms has been presented by special arrangement with Tam's Whitmark Music Library. The book and lyrics are by William Lee Barron, with music by Fritz Chrysler and Victor Jacoby. Jeanette MacDonald is currently starred in the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Technicolor production, The Sun Comes Up, with Lloyd Nolan, Claude Jarman Jr., and Lassie. Gordon McRae appeared on this program by arrangement with Warner Brothers, producers of My Dream is Yours, starring Jack Carson and Doris Day. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the Association of American Railroads. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Following a successful Broadway career, Jeanette MacDonald became one of the biggest film stars of the 1930s. She hoped to enter Grand Opera and trained diligently to achieve her aim. In 1943, she made her operatic debut in Montreal, Canada. In 1944, she was back working regularly on stage, giving numerous sold-out concerts over the years and starring in such musicals as The King and I. In 1948, MacDonald returned to her home studio, MGM, to make her last two films, Three Daring Daughters with Jane Powell and The Sun Comes Up with none other than Lassie, released in 1949, the year of today's broadcast. Around this same time, in 1948, Gordon McRae was signed to a seven-year contract with Warner Brothers Pictures and soon after made his film debut in the non-musical The Big Punch, opposite Lois Maxwell, best known later as Miss Moneypenny in the James Bond films. In addition to his landing his own weekly radio show with The Railroad Hour, debuting in October of 1948, he appeared in a string of hit film musicals, starting with Look for the Silver Lining, opposite June Haver and Ray Bolger, which premiered in 1949. Francis X. Bushman was performing at Bronco Billy Anderson's SNA Studios in Chicago, where he was first noticed for his muscular, sculpted frame. He appeared in nearly 200 feature film roles, more than 175 films before 1920, and 17 in his screen debut year of 1911 alone. His most enduring role was as Masala in the original 1925 film version of Ben-Hur. Around the time of this broadcast, Betty Lou Gerzen was cast as the narrator in Walt Disney's animated version of Cinderella. 
1961, she would provide the voice of the villainous, selfish socialite Cruella de Vil in Disney's 101 Dalmatians. Jerome Cowan appeared in more than 100 movies, but is probably best remembered for two roles in classic films, as Miles Archer, the doomed private eye partner of Sam Spade in The Maltese Falcon, and as Thomas Mara, the hapless district attorney who has to prosecute Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th Street. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber. 